You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. Today we're going to continue that discussion. We talked about the first one, is the, the first attribute being decisiveness. That if we're going to live a life that wins, we have to be decisive, as Jonathan was with his armor bearers. We read uh, a couple weeks ago that these two individuals, these two young men, took on an entire army while their 600 army uh, stayed behind at a, uh, at a tree, camped out. But Jonathan and his armor bearer became decisive to trust in God, to step out and make a, a, a decision on a maybe that God is, it would possibly go before us, that it was better to move forward in faith in God than to sit still, that if we're going to become overcomers or we're going to uh, accomplish or live a life that wins, we've got to be decisive. There has to be a moment that we make a decision, that we're going to move forward and we're not going to remain where we are. These talked the second week about having uh, drive, that, that the attribute of a life that wins is to have that personal drive like it was for David when he went out to fight, fight Goliath. In that moment, there was a drive and something in him that was a deep conviction that for the sake of the, the honorable name of God, that he went and slayed a giant that was, that was uh, uh, three times his size, that was much stronger, much more skilled than him, but his drive and his faith or his, his drive to, to trust in God took him to a place of victory. Last week, we talked about the importance of having direction. Just as Leah, who gave birth to, to her sons in, in the scripture that we read last week, as Leah gave birth and, and her fourth son that she gave birth to was Judah. And it was a moment where she said, this time I'm going to praise the Lord. That that direction in our life is that we live in a direction that is pointed to Christ. That we don't live to the left or to the right. The Bible says not to set our eyes to the left or to the right, but to fix our eyes on Christ, to allow our attention to be on Him. This morning, we're going to take a look at, 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 at another attribute of what it is, a, a key attribute of a life that wins, and it is this dependency. Having a dependency on Jesus Christ, a life that wins develops dependency on a consistent source of strength. Your winning becomes something that is a consistency that develops, that you go to your source, you go to what it is that you do. There are many times, I would imagine you, you talk to a, a professional athlete or someone who is in the, the, the whole area of training and developing. There are those routines and there are those things that they've adapted that have become success for them. It's been a routine and a part of their training and a part of their, de- their, their development. They become dependent upon those things. There are those certain things and, and, and drills that they do and things that that come into alignment to help them to to follow through and have a consistency about their lives. In our lives, there needs to be something in order for us to succeed. We've got to become dependent or consistently depending upon that source of strength that will empower us and develop us. How many know there can also be a negative dependency that we can have in life? We, we don't need to, we're not going to talk about those things that we can negatively be dependent upon in life. We know that there are those that become dependent upon drugs, upon alcohol, upon unhealthy relationships, upon, uh, upon victim mentalities and things that, that, that just identify us. And we can allow those things to become our dependency. We are drawn to, we're driven by, we're controlled by. 
But this morning, looking at having a dependency on Christ. Of course, next weekend, as we've been talking about this life that wins, next weekend we have an opportunity uh, to share in our winning weekend. And uh, you may have received, and I hope you have, if you've been coming for the, for the last couple of weeks or any time in the last four weeks or so, you should have uh, seen a Life That Wins invite card. And this is a three-day event that's going to be next weekend, this whole series of a Life That Wins. And next week is our winning weekend. And you'll notice on the card that it is an invite to a family movie night on Friday and then on Saturday, a men's prayer breakfast. Let me encourage you to find someone, encourage them to come. And then Sunday morning, we're going to be having, the, which is next Sunday morning, uh, coming up, that we're going to be having a tailgate party, a pre-service tailgate party that we're inviting you to come and just be a part of a time, inviting your, your friends to come and fellowship. We'll have food. We'll have some, some uh, games, some activities, face painting. There'll be some uh, giveaways, prizes. But the most important thing is an opportunity to create, uh, to, to engage in relationship with those who don't know Christ, but the most important thing we want them to come in contact with is the presence of the Lord, that there would, that there would be an opportunity, most of all, for them to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of their life. I want to encourage you to take some of these if you haven't already. And here's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to identify someone who is around you who needs Jesus, who needs to, to have hope in Jesus Christ, to find someone in, your, in your, your world of influence. How many can think of somebody who needs to, needs to know Jesus? How many can think of somebody who needs to come to Jesus? Too many are hanging around all Christians. You got to get out with and a couple of you just to, I want to encourage you to, to ask God to intentionally, call, to put in your heart uh, just a, someone who you can intentionally go to and invite. This, this whole idea of a winning life is, is this, that, that people who are influential are people who become intentional. That in, intentional living causes us to be influential in our world. Also, this same idea that a life that wins, wins other people. That is, we're winning. We become those who want to and desire to share Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Can I, can I ask you to help us out next week? We put the plans together. We do need some more help. You can contact Ashley online and, and let her know if you're able to help with, with putting the, that uh, tailgate party and stuff together. But here's how we're asking you to be a part. To take one of these cards and to pray for that person that God has put in your heart, to begin to pray for them, and then to intentionally set up a time to go to them and give them this invite card and invite them to come to church with you. Invite them to come, and if they have children, anticipate that if they have children, that you'll walk with them down to our kids' ministry. You'll help them. You'll show them around. You'll, you'll walk with them and, and uh, uh, just help them find their way around the, uh, the, the buildings and the kids' ministries. You'll sit with them at church, and then they'll sit through an opportunity to hear Jesus Christ, and then at the end of that service, just to simply ask them, so what is your thoughts of what you heard today? What do you think about what was shared today and that opportunity, maybe there'll be at that moment for them that they'll say, today I recognize that I need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's a process. They say, well, I think we need to start going to church. Whatever that process would be, that we want to help people begin a process of coming to know Jesus Christ. But even as we come to know Jesus, may we continue a process of growing and knowing him even more. And uh, that is our desire for each and every one of us to become intentional. You know, the Bible has called all of us to be evangelists. Who was the last person that you shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with and led them to a place that they've come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Who was the last person? How long ago was it? When was the last time 
that you were able to help and walk with someone at a place of not knowing Christ and to help them, maybe not bring them to a complete, because here's the, the reality, only the Holy Spirit can bring people to salvation. But God will use us. Where is our relationship with those to, to, help, to, to help plant a seed, to water that seed and encourage them? Because here's what we tend to do. We tend to recognize the need but expect everybody else to do something about it. We tend to recognize, and, and this is, let's just be real, this is not a, a, a slam or, or condemnation, let's just be real in our culture and in every, a lot of aspects. We tend to recognize the need and expect other people or someone else to do something about it. We recognize that there are areas of our, of our society that need help. There are areas of things around us. And I, I know that we, we can't do everything, but asking God, what is it that he would want us to do? Because there is a need that is great. And so God, how would you have us be used in that need? And so would you, would you join with us and just invite someone? How many would say uh, uh, you're going to uh, commit to invite someone next weekend? And you, would you just raise your hand if you make a commitment to invite someone next weekend? Here's what I want to do. I I want to pray for those people that might already be in your mind. I, I, I'm not wanting to put anybody on the spot, make it uncomfortable here. I just want us to, to pray intentionally here this morning. How many would say, I already know that person by name. I already know who it is that I'm going to be giving an invitation to. Raise your hand if that's you. You already know who that is this morning. Because here's what I want you to do. Would you just join me right now? Can we all stand and can we lift these, these individuals to the Lord? Would you just begin to pray right now for that person that you're going to be inviting, that person who doesn't know Jesus? Would you just begin to lift them before the Lord. Come on, right now where you are, would you just, would you just spend a time with, with the Lord in this moment? Just ask God to soften their hearts, to give you the words, to prepare that opportunity. Would you just begin to ask God to create that opportunity to share that, that invitation and to invite people? Father, we thank you that we are a part of this great purpose, and that is proclaiming the name and the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the one who brought that message of hope to us. God, I thank you. Lord, some have heard my story, God, that, that as I, I traced it all the way back to 1938, a man by the name of T.B. Pierce who left Hartford, Maryland and came to Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania where he met my great, great aunt and that's where salvation came to our household. God, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for T.B. Pierce who brought the gospel to my family and Lord, I thank you that it was passed on from one family member to another to another. Another, and I thank you, Lord, today that salvation has come to our home. And I pray, God, that you would use us like T.B. Pierce to bring hope to the world of somebody. That, God, should you tarry, there'll be a third generation from now that'll say, God, I thank you for that person that in, in, that in 2014, in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, they came to my family. They shared a message. They shared an invitation. They shared hope. And because of that moment, my generation has been changed. I pray, God, that you would use us in these small ways. God, that you would do great and mighty things as we trust you. Lord, we pray for these ones that are on our heart, that you would give us favor, that you would stir their heart, and that you would bring them to salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody who wants to see Fayette County one for Jesus said, amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. It will rarely happen by accident, if ever. It always happened by intentional choosing and intentional choosing, intentional living. This morning, let's get into our topic on dependency and talking about being dependent on the Lord and developing that dependency on God. Uh, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 28. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 
uh, this morning, Genesis chapter 28. Who or what you depend on is so powerful that it becomes who or what defines you. Whatever you become dependent upon is what defines you. The reality of that is that you received your name from the person who you became dependent upon. I remember the, the uh, Jaron when he was born and we named him Jaron and, and it was our, our uh, opportunity. We didn't say to the nurse, so what's his name? We didn't ask the doctor, oh, it's a boy. Well, what's his name? No, we had that opportunity. We named him. And I, I remember we went through the process of finding his name. And his name's Jaron, J-A-R-O-N, not J-A-S-O-N. And, and we thought, well, it's a little dangerous to have a junior in the house. So instead of naming him Jason Jr., we'll just change one letter and we'll call him Jaron. And besides, Jaron means he will sing praises. And so we prophesied and prayed over him that, God, you're going to raise up a worship leader. You're going to call. And so we named him. Jaron because it means he will sing praises. It also means in, in the, 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 that's in the Greek that he will sing praises, but in the Jewish, in the, uh, uh, the uh, Aramaic, it means he will cry out. And there were days I wish his name wasn't Jaron because he cried a bit in uh, those early years. But there's something in the name and who or what you're dependent upon has the opportunity and the power to name you. You become dependent upon alcohol that alcohol has the power to call you a drunk. You become dependent upon unhealthy relationships. Those needs and those things have the power to call you insecure, hurting. You become dependent on whatever it is that you depend on and fall upon and lean, lean upon strong. Whatever it is, you have given that thing or that person the power and the opportunity to name you or define you. In Genesis chapter 28, we're going to look at the story of Jacob, who is a young man who God has called. He's from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's, he's the patriarch, one of, the, one of the, the founding fathers of this faith that we hold on to. I want to look at two specific places for Jacob that his life hit a pivotal moment or pivotal place. And this morning, that's the title of our message, is a pivotal place. That place where change and, and a place of importance, where something begins to transpi- transpire, things become different. His identity was changed in this moment. Here's what it says in Genesis 28, starting with verse 10. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone for a pillow and laid his head down to sleep. Sounds like a comfortable night. How many, how many would probably say it sounds like a desperate night? And what you're reaching for and what you have is a, is, a, is a stone to lay your head on. It's not the best night of his life. As he slept, he dreamed, he dreamt of a stairway that reached from earth to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down on it. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I will give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will cover the land from east to west, from north to south. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I will be with you and I will protect you wherever you go. I will someday bring you safely back to this land. I will be with you constantly until I have finished giving you everything that I have promised. Then Jacob woke up and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. He was afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God. 
the gateway to heaven. It is none other than the house of God, a place of, of change, a place of life transformation. He came, came to this pivotal place in his life. And we find Jacob in this moment, in this time in his life. And the word pivotal means this. It is key or essential. It's critical and important. It's a pivotal moment. It's a pivotal place. He has a moment of recognizing God and God reveals a great promise to him. He reveals a promise that he would be the father of many nations, that he would carry out this promise, that he would give him descendants, that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. How many understand that he's the, the Lord is saying to Jacob that through you, ultimately what he's setting in course is that the Messiah, the promised one, the, the Christ, is going to come from your line and it will be a blessing to all the nations, to the Gentiles and all of the world, that through you great blessing will come. I want you to know today that you exist in a purpose and in a place that God wants to cause great blessing to come from your life into all those around you. That God wants there to be a release and a blessing into the world. That God wants us to be those influential people that see life change. You know, we recognize this pivotal place that he has arrived in. But here's something I think that is, that is important to understand. Not only recognizing that Jacob has had a pivotal place, that he comes to this moment, but I think it's good to recognize how he got there and where he's going. You see, because if you read the story in the context of what's surrounding Jacob in this moment, Jacob is a runaway. He is running for his life. And on the way of running for his life, because the reason he had to run for his life is because he had just deceived his father, he had just deceived his brother, and the, he was the, a, a twin, and, and it was Jacob and Esau, Esau being the oldest. And Jacob was always that one that had a way of, of just manipulating and working things. He was gifted. In fact, his name Jacob meant deceiver, or who would grab at. Jacob was the one who had operated in deception. He would make things work his way. In fact, when he was young, he, he, he came in, or his brother came in from the field and was hungry, and he said, his brother said to him, he said, I'm, I'm hungry, give me something to eat. And Jacob said, oh, you want the stew that I just made? Esau said, yeah, I'm going to die, I need the stew. Jacob said, well, I'll give you the stew if you give me your birthright. And all of a sudden, Esau just saw no value in that. Esau says to him, what's a birthright to me? I don't want it. He says, I just want the stew. Sometimes we live for our immediate moments and we live for our, our instant gratifications and we lose sight of the big picture of what God wants to affect in our life. And so Jacob says, aha, I got it. So Jacob manipulated that moment. All of a sudden, he comes to another moment and he hears from his mom that, that Isaac, the father, is about to give the family blessing. That's a big deal. It's not like in our culture, but in that culture, the family blessing was a big deal, and it would always go to the oldest, the oldest boy in the house. I'm all right if we were still back in, in the Old Testament culture because I'm the oldest boy in the house and I, in, my, in my home growing up, and Jackson, you're all right with that too, huh? You want that? Just, just go back to the way it was, right? <laughs> it was an important thing to receive the Father's blessing because through you, that promise and, and the blessing would be upon that, that, that child, that son. Jacob learned of that, and so Jacob decided, with the help of his mother, that I'm going to go and make food for my father. My father can't see. He's elderly. He's blind. And so while my, my brother is out catching the game and preparing the food that my dad requested, because dad said, hey, Esau, go get me some food. Go kill some food and bring it in, and then I'll bless you. But while Esau is out doing that, Jacob once again manipulates a situation, 
comes in and Jacob puts on goat fur and yucky stuff and goes in because the reason he did that is because Esau was a hairy man and he wanted to trick his father. And so he comes in and he says, hey, father, here's the food you requested. And the father said, you sound like Esau. No, I'm Jacob. Come closer. Let me, let me touch you because he couldn't see, but he felt his arm and he felt, yep, you're a hairy man. So he said, it is Esau. So he ate the food and he blessed Jacob. Jacob then leaves off the scene. Esau comes in and says, Esau says, hey, dad, I'm back. Here's the food you requested. Instantly, Isaac's heart sank and Isaac said, your brother, he did it again. I already gave a blessing to your brother. Now, here's something that's interesting. From the moment these two boys were born, God already said the younger son would serve the older. God already said this was going to happen this way. But here's what happened. Instead of it happening the way God designed, Jacob allowed his own way of manipulating and his own way of doing things, and Jacob tried to do it his way. Can I tell you, Jacob's desire to do it his way cost him a lot more in the long run. Jacob's desire to fix it his way and to make things happen the way he wanted caused something that was even more difficult in the long run. And this tendency that he had, Jacob had a tendency of taking matters into his own hand and doing things his own way to bring it about. And this tendency is is something that was not only in his life, but from his very beginning, it was something that he had developed He had a pattern in his life from the time he was born. And even as he was born, if you know the Bible, it says that he reached out and grabbed the heel of his brother that he literally grabbed. And there's sometimes that we can be those people that are grabbing for things. Rather than trusting God, we're leaning on our own ways, our own understanding, the own way of doing things. He had a skill, a crafty manipulation of people. He knew how to work people. He knew how to manipulate. He knew how to make the circumstance work. And we can get good at that in life, that we can be so good at working people that we don't know how to trust God because we're good at manipulating the situation ourselves. How many know that there's a danger that we can be so good at manipulating that we don't need God anymore? And we can also be so good at manipulating that we can make others think that we are doing it for God. That Jacob had a craftiness about him. Jacob had this, this tendency about him there's a term that's in basketball, not because I've ever played, not because I know the sport. Quite honestly, dribbling and running at the same time, that's one thing. Stopping and passing and, and then trying to dribble, it's just one of those things I, I can't, I've never been able to accomplish and master. But they call the pivot foot that in basketball, it's the, the one foot that you, that you come to a stop with. And it's the one foot that you can make a, a full motion, but that foot has to hold the weight and you have to keep that foot planted. And when that foot is in, in, in its place, everything else is proper. You can move in every direction. But if you get off the wrong foot, it becomes a foul. And there's this question that we have to ask ourselves is what foot are we leaning on? Are we leaning on the foot that is pivoted and, and strengthened in Christ? or are we leaning in our own way and here's the danger this is why basketball is too hard for me it's too hard for me not to shift my weight and go from one foot to the other the 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 coordination and the concentration of that whole thing i'll just stick to baseball and those things were a lot easier for me but it was a difficult thing and how many know in life it's so easy for us to shift our weight from trusting god to doing it our own way how many have ever been in life's moment and you go back and forth you shift your weight you're doing it god's way you want to believe god you want to trust god and then you come to life's moment and say, well, I don't know. I better go back on my own foot. 
I better move back to the other direction. I'm not so sure I can trust in this situation or this moment. You understand that the moment you shift your, your, your weight, the moment you move on to the other foot, if you know basketball, it's a foul. The ball gets turned over. And here's what I love, that we have all fouled in life. We've all shifted the weight. We've all mishandled the ball. The Bible says we all are bad ball players and have gone astray. Okay, sheep, but the same idea. We've all caused fouls in life. All of us have mishandled those moments. And the grace of God that he brings and he restores and he teaches us in those moments how to depend on him. The Bible, we've already referenced this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Can I make a confession to you today? I've been serving Jesus for almost 30 years and I'm still learning how to trust him with all my heart. I'm still learning what it is to trust him with all my heart. I've had those moments, God, I trust you. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Well, this time I might have to try this one. Lord, I believe in you, I trust you, but I'm not so sure you're gonna get me out of this one. So I might have to shift and lean on the other leg for a moment. But that whole essence of learning how to trust, learning how to, tr- how, to, how to lean upon his help. Jacob found himself in a desperate situation. And that desperate situation, like we referenced for David, became the great arena for God to develop dependency in his life. Can I tell you the purpose of God in your life today is not just what he wants to cause to happen through you, but what he wants to do in you. He cares more about the person he's creating in you than what he wants you to do for him. Because the reason he cares more about that is the moment you become what God has called you to be, you will naturally affect the world that's around you. God only cares about making you more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And he's allowing circumstances and allowing things to to move us and, and to cause us to become even more like him in those desperate moments. Depending on God is not a natural occurrence, but it's a developed habit. I want to look at three things this morning, what God uses to help us develop dependency. How many would admit with me and say, I'm still learning how to lean on him with all my heart? Still learning how to lean on him. Here's some things that God will use to teach us to develop or to develop dependency on him. Number one, God-given dreams. Jacob reaches this place. He's running away from his brother. And, and we also, I mentioned, I forgot to mention, not only what he was running from, so he's running from his angry brother who wants to kill him. And so as he's running from his brother who wants to kill him, he stops for the night in this place that he later calls Bethel. And he lays down to sleep and he lays his head on a rock and has a dream. He's in between his angry brother and his uncle Laban where he's running for safety. He wasn't heading to the best place either. He wasn't running to a bed of roses. This wasn't going to be the safety that he thought. Oh, he might not get killed by his brother but he's going to experience something else. But that night as he's sleeping in the place between, between his angry brother and his uncle Laban, he has a dream. And in that dream, God causes him to recognize the potential of his life and what God wanted to cause to come out of him. When you get a God-sized dream, you have an opportunity to only believe on God. That when God gives you a dream for something that he wants to accomplish in your life, it becomes a dream so big that only God can do it. And sometimes we'll take the dream that God God gives us and we'll try to go along and make the dream that God gave us come about and we have to realize it's a dream that only God can make happen and when you have a dream that comes from God it causes you to become dependent on what God wants to bring about in your life 
God doesn't want you to have a past that you're running away from, but he wants you to have a dream that you're running after. Jacob, as we come to this place, you realize that God is taking a man who is a deceiver and turning him into a dreamer. Isn't that the amazing grace and the love of God that he's taken a man who is a deceiver and who is running from his brother and he takes this deceiver and turns him into a dreamer and causes him to have something to look forward to. I want you to hear this this morning. If you need to write it down, if you need to, if you need to just burn it in your memory, but you might be in a situation and understand today that God is not wanting you to run away from your past. He wants you to run after the dream that he's put in your heart. Don't be in a place where you're running from the past and the things that have happened in your life, but you're running after the purpose that God wants to cause you, cause to come about in your life. We might be in an uncomfortable rock in this transitional point. He's bringing you to a, a new identity, this uncomfortable place. God shows Jacob a ladder, and the Bible says that above the ladder... The Lord stood above the ladder. And Jacob had tried to, to climb the ladder. You, you may have you've, you've read the, the Bible before. You've heard the stories. You've heard of Jacob's ladder. Well, this is where we get that from this, this, this dream that Jacob had. Jacob had climbed or tried to climb the ladder on his own. He tried or he got his brother's birthright. He took things into his own hands. One important thing about any ladder is you better make sure you know what it's up against. Because the moment you start climbing it, if it's not positioned properly on something that can, that's secure, you're going to fall. And that ladder of what we're placing our, 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 our climb and what it is that we're set on, a God-sized dream, asking us this morning, are we climbing a God-sized dream or are we climbing a self-driven desires? Are we moving after the things of ourselves? When you have a God-sized dream, you can't help but depend on God. Have you received a dream from God? For your family? Have you received a dream from God for, for your community, for your workplace? There's something that God has put in your heart that he wants to accomplish. When you recognize a God-sized dream, you can't help but depend on God. And he'll give you dreams just to teach you how much you need to depend on him. There's a danger that when you feel you've got a dream from the Lord, that you start thinking you're something special. God only gives you a dream not so you can think you're something special, he gives you a dream so that you can know how much you need to trust him to make something special happen. He gives you a dream not so you can think or become anything of yourself, but that you can always be reminded the only way this is going to happen is if God goes before us. If God goes on our behalf, only God can make this happen. Number two, God will teach us dependency by number two, having God-guided discipline. The rock that Jacob laid his head on was symbolic of the rocky road that was ahead of him. Things were not about to get easier for Jacob. He has a moment, and I think in this time frame, what God was doing was God was letting him know, hey, the road is difficult. You've got a trouble ahead of you, but you need to know this. I am with you. I want you to stop and ask yourself, is that word enough from God? Ask yourself that right now. Whatever you're going through right now, is it enough for you to know that God says, hey, you've got a tough road ahead of you. Things aren't going to be easy. There's going to be work. There's going to be things ahead. But he came to Jacob in the midst of running from his angry brother and on his way to Laban, his uncle. And things weren't going to get any better. But God was saying, I am with you. You know what God is teaching me? God is teaching me that the importance is not 
the outcome of the events around me as much as it is knowing his presence that no matter what I'm going through, he's there. I've had to shift my weight from one side saying, God, I need things to go the right way. And I'm focused on seeing things turn out the right way and the right things being done, the right things happening, the right stuff taking place. You know, happiness, the pursuit of happiness, life, uh, and, and love, and all the freedoms, and all the good, you know, the good stuff, uh, things I want in life. But I've had to learn that instead of leaning on trying to make everything go the way I want in life, leaning on it's enough to know that he's with me no matter what I'm going through in life. To know that he's in the midst of whatever it is that I'm facing, whatever it is that I might be going through. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, listen to this word, Hebrews 12, it says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. No, no true son, not no true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but rather painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Consider your difficult moments as discipline from God. He says, endure hardship as discipline. You know the most favorite thing to do as a parent is to discipline your children. If it's a pleasant thing to discipline your children, you might not be disciplining them for the right reason. If the benefit of the discipline is because you're angry and you just got to get this out of your system, that's not healthy discipline. Discipline is not what makes us feel better. Discipline is what sets the child or the individual in a proper course, in a way of development. That if we do what we do for the sake of, well, this is going to make me feel better. I don't know the, the rule. Of course, I, I do believe in spanking children. It's a little harder now. They're teenagers and almost teenagers, some of them. I believe that applies as they're younger. There's more development to things that we can apply there in that discipline. And as they were younger, there were times we had to smack. In fact, Jaron still talks about the time that when we lived in Dillsburg, he was probably about seven years old, and he still says that the moment that his life changed because he saw something in me that he's never seen before. In fact, we still reference the day. Remember in Dillsburg down in the basement when you were seven years old? Yeah, Dad, I got that. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't, a, it wasn't, it wasn't, a, it was of a, no abuse. It was a clear statement. My son, we still talk about it this day, and he smiles about it and says, I remember that. I thought you were going to kill me. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I'm calling somebody right now. I got to realize the seven-year-old said he thought. But the dad who knew what was going on was recognizing, no, the way you're trying to talk to your mother is not a way you're permitted to talk to your mother. And you're never going to talk to your mother again like that. And at the age of seven is when we had a moment and said, line's drawn, buddy. You're seven years old. I know you're not a man, but I'm going to start teaching you how to become a man. And men don't talk to women that way. And you say, well, what could a seven-year-old say to his, to his mother? Nothing that bad. 
but I sure wasn't going to let anything cross because I'd rather deal with that than have to wait till it evolves to something else and say, well, now we got to fix this. But we said at the age of seven, we're going to set some discipline. We're going to set some things in order. You say, oh, do you have it all figured out? Absolutely not. The more I'm a parent, the more I'm saying, oh, God, help me to not lean on my own understanding. Help me to keep trusting you. But if I can be a dad that loves my son enough to discipline at the proper moments and in those times, how much more does your father love you in heaven? That he allows those hardships. He says, consider the hardship. And if you're going through a hardship right now, would you just consider that as discipline? And no one likes discipline, but can I tell you, here's another shift you need to go from. Here's what we tend to look at discipline. We tend to look at discipline as punishment from our past. We look at discipline as punishment for our past, but discipline is not punishment for your past. It's preparation for your future. When you look at punishment as discipline or your discipline as punishment for your past, you miss the purpose and the grace of what God wants to bring about in you. He is not punishing you in result of your past. He's punishing you or allowing instead not punishment but preparation because he's got a future for you. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans not to harm you but to give you a hope and a future that means when my mom said this hurts me more than you i think she really meant it sometimes i'm not too sure though sometimes i'm pretty sure she just enjoyed it (laughs) but there are those those seasons of discipline that god will will allow us to go through and having that godly perspective don't be misled you cannot be mocked galatians 6 7 you will always harvest what you plant If Jacob is going to learn to shift his weight, and I I want to close with this. Jacob had to learn to shift from leaning on his own ways, his ways of manipulating, his ways of doing things. That He was now going through a season of discipline because when he gets to Uncle Laban's house, the deceiver has now met a bigger deceiver. The one who manipulated circumstances has now met a great manipulator because Laban said, hey, Work for me and I'll give you my daughter, Rachel. You can have her. Remember we talked about it last week? Instead of getting Rachel, Laban the manipulator, because it benefited him more, gave Leah. And then he says, I'm going to pay you this amount. Then he tricks him and doesn't pay him that amount. You reap what you sow. And in reaping what you sow, it is not just discipline or punishment. That word discipline it is not associated with negative punishment as much as it is associated with developmental training. When you have discipline, it's not what punishes you, it's what develops you and trains you. I'm working on my fitness. Some of you are like, well, you ain't working too hard. I know. I'm praying about it. <laughs> Isn't that the way? I'm praying about getting healthy. <laughs> well, as long as you're praying about it, you know, you don't have to have any responsibility. Isn't that that's how we do it? You know, I'm praying about it. <laughs> No, this isn't a season of praying. This is a season I've got to do things. But I realize there are disciplines and habits that I have that I've got to break. Do you know how hard it is to break habits that I've been doing and mindsets that I've had and things that I've just acquired and lived with and had? I've got to be disciplined now to change those things that have been taking place. You're going through a hardship and let God develop that discipline that he wants to bring you. Let me give you the last one here. The worship team is going to come and help us close this morning. Here's the last one. He gives us God, God-given dreams develop dependency. Uh, we're also developing dependency 
on God-guided discipline. Number three, God caused limps. And let me explain this. God caused limps. Jacob has now gone to Laban's house and the Lord tells him to go back to the place that he had called him from, back to Bethel where he had the dream, back to that area. And along the way, he's gonna meet his brother Esau. It's now 20 years later. Jacob doesn't know, okay, my, East, my brother Esau has had 20 years now to fester in this anger. He's either 20 times more angry or it's subsided. I don't know how I'm gonna find him. So Jacob leaves Laban's house and he sends a a group of of his servants ahead with a bunch of gifts and says, when you see Esau, tell him these are from his humble, loving brother. Tell him it's from his brother. And then he sent another group. I want you to go as well. And when they give him a a bunch of gifts, then I want you to give him a bunch of gifts because I don't know how I'm going to find my brother. Jacob sends people away. And in verse 32, Jacob is now alone with God and he's camped. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says this in Genesis 32. This left Jacob all alone in the camp and a man came down and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he was not that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Let me tell you, this man was Jesus. The Bible says an angel of the Lord. God in body form is Jesus Christ. It's God who is he's fighting with. That's what the, the Bible says. He's wrestled with God. He says the man touched Jacob's hip and he took it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, listen what he said. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Do you realize what happened in that moment? Jacob is saying, I've spent all my life trying to do and get blessings my own way, deceiving and manipulating and leaning on my own understanding. I'm not letting you go because I'm not letting you go until you bless me. You know what Jacob was saying? I'm depending on you. I have nothing without you. I can't let you go because you're the only way this is going to work in my life. Have you ever been at the moment where you say, God, I can't let go. This is never going to work. This is never going to happen unless you bless me, unless you make this happen. You might be at a difficult moment in a desperation, a moment of desperation, and you come to that moment and you hold on to the Lord and you say, God, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And this was not Jacob demanding God. This was Jacob pleading with God and saying, you're the only one who can bless me. You're the only one upon whom I can depend. You're the only one who can make this happen. All of a sudden it's over. The Bible says, The rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp. Some of you are limping today. You're limping through life. You're limping. You've been affected. And sometimes God will allow that limp. And here's what happened. That nerve or what he had done, he had taken his his hip out of socket. And there was a nerve now that became real sensitive. You ever know what it's like to have a nerve become exposed or those of you that uh, there's some of us here you've had the issues with the sciatic nerve and you've you know what it's like to have that nerve affected it changes you it causes you to become sensitive here's what the Lord told me this morning the church has lost its sensitivity to the power of the Holy Spirit 
the church has lost its sensitivity to the presence of the Lord. I don't mean just faith assembly. I mean we have lost a sensitivity. We have, we have played in the world's playgrounds and asked God for do, to do miracles while we play in the world's playgrounds. While we do the work, we lean on our own understanding and ask for God to do what only He can do. You can't have it both ways. Lord, develop a sensitivity in my life. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.